ready to go. Acts 15 is where we're going to spend some time this morning while making our way into Acts 16 and uh, continuing our, our journey, beginning a new journey here with, with Paul. <clears throat> the last song we sung about God leads us along. It speaks to us about different ways God leads us. Some, sometimes we're led through very difficult times and sometimes it's, it's uh, wonder and beauty, but in the end God is with us no matter what the journey is and where he leads, but he is always leading. And that has a lot to do with what we look at this morning as we come to the end of chapter 15 of Acts and into the beginning, chapter 16. Over the last few weeks, as we've been in Acts chapter 15, we've... Uh, talked about some of the big truths of Christianity. Uh, chapter 15 is about that Jerusalem council where they're debating and arguing and trying to wrestle with the idea of how did the Gentiles fit into Christianity with the Jews and what do we do with the law? And so they wrestled through that, and in doing that, we've seen some of the great themes, like that salvation is in Christ alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. And then having hashed that out and worked their way through that and coming to the very clear conclusion that that is where salvation is, in Christ alone, they then hashed out and, and fought through how do we live that out? What does it look like? And so we see that we are saved through faith alone in Christ alone, but for the glory of God alone. And so that's how we're to live. Our pursuit is to live for God's glory in all things. And so we've seen some of these great truths kind of at their their beginning as they've been set in foundation in the church. Today we're going to see another one of these big truths of the ages. Um, today we've seen salvation in Christ alone and, and for the glory of God alone. Today we're going to look at, at one of these great overarching principles of, of all of eternity, and that is what we call providence. Providence. Providence isn't just that God is in control. Sometimes we hear the words providence and sovereignty used uh, interchangeably, and in many ways they overlap. But the difference really this is that, that providence isn't just that God is in control, that he has the power to do things and, and that he rules over everything. That's sovereignty. Providence goes a little bit further in a book titled Providence. Um, it's explained one way like this, that it is God's seeing to act. That is, that as God sees and what he sees, he sees with the intent or with the purpose to act in good. Um, as a kind of a simple definition, it's not the greatest, but it gives us a simple working definition to work with. I've defined providence this way, just that providence is the purposeful power of God at work in the world. So not just the powerful work of God, but the purposeful power of God at work in the world. God has a purpose for this world, and he is working to that end. In everything that happens, every detail, everything that goes on, God sees it, and he is working it so that it will come to his desired end for his glory and for our eternal good. So God has his gracious, caring hand on absolutely everything. We find ourselves living in that great purpose. In our pursuit of living for God, we often 
find things that don't work out the way we plan. We plan and we work and we pursue God and sometimes it just doesn't work the way we had intended. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, uh, Paul writes and says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ be the praise of his glory. We need to live in pursuit of Christ's purpose, to pursue what he wants and where his great end is. And sometimes to do that, God is going to throw a spanner in the works of our plans and throw a spanner in the works of our life, where we think we, we plan and we pursue God to do the right things. And then all of a sudden, things just don't seem to go that way. God works those out, and sometimes it will be working with our failures where we have made mistakes or caused problems, God will use that and he will bring his purpose out of it. So if you'll follow along with me or listen as we read in Acts chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 36, read through chapter 16 and verse 10. <clears throat> then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, a who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We pray that you would go before us, you would teach us, encourage us in heart. In Jesus' name, amen. As the title says behind me, when God changes your plans, follow. That's what we want to consider tonight. When God changes your plans, follow. Firstly, sometimes fail. Good plans sometimes fail. 
He was the plan that was set out by Paul as he was about to launch out with, uh, with Barnabas again. They had planned here to, to go back to the places where they had, had gone and strengthen the disciples. Paul and Barnabas had been in Antioch for, for a while now. It could be somewhere around a year, not that long. Perhaps they had just stayed out the winter uh, for traveling. And as spring is coming, Paul, who we know is very driven and moving, is probably getting itchy feet. And he has a plan. We're going to go back and we're going to go visit the churches we've just been to and we're going to strengthen them and we're going to encourage them. He planned to go with, with Barnabas and, and do that. As they describe here, it says that they are going to go back and see how they are doing. And that's an expression of oversight and care. That is, his intent was to go back, make sure that they were still following the teachings, that they could grow, make sure they were doing all right in a hostile environment. Remember, in some of these places, Paul had been stoned and beaten. So he wanted to make sure that they were, were okay. The plan isn't a different journey but a follow-up one, essentially the same path they had taken the first time. This is one of Paul's passions. You see it through his letters and you see it through the rest of Acts. One of his passions is to strengthen the people of God. We've seen from the beginning has been an encourager. It's how he is known. It's how he got his name as an encourager of people. So this, this trip seems like the, the perfect plan for both of them. Both of them have a heart to strengthen and encourage people, and that seems the, the perfect thing for them to do. Paul wasn't just a church planter, but he was a discipler at heart. He wanted to grow. So they were going to strengthen the disciples. This was a good and godly plan. By any standard, this is a great plan. Who could fault this plan? We want to go back and we want to strengthen the people we just led to Jesus Christ. How is that a bad plan? In fact, at the heart of what Jesus Christ gave us to do when he left in what we call the Great Commission was to make disciples, not just converts, but make disciples. So this is a good and it's a godly plan. It was especially important for them because they'd just gone through the Jerusalem Council uh, so they could take the, the decrees and the things they had learned about salvation and about law and be able to teach that to the Gentiles around them so that they could be as excited about what was coming out of there as the people in Antioch. This wasn't just a good plan. It was a godly plan. Who would, who would argue with that? And later we will see, although we know that there are plans that change here, that this plan does take shape. It just looks different. And it happens in a different way. But here's the problem. They have a good and a godly plan. But then there is a major disagreement. A major disagreement takes place here. And this good and godly plan, which is ready to go and could easily happen, the wheels fall off. It turns into a mess. The fact that Luke includes this for us shows his honesty because this is an embarrassing passage of scripture. This is not Paul's best moment. It's not Barnabas's best moment. For two, two men who we have come to see as perhaps some of the, uh, the most godly men we have seen in Scripture to be acting like this, this is not a great moment for them. Yet Paul puts it in, or Luke puts it in here for us so that we can learn and we can grow. True to Barnabas's character, he wants to take John Mark. Barnabas is an encourager. He is a supporter. He is a comforter. 
You'll remember, as Paul makes note here in the passage, that John Mark went with them on the first journey, but left very early on. After they got to Pamphylia, he leaves. This is where the problem comes. Sees Mark's departure as a mistake of just an immature young man. You know, he was on the journey. It wasn't what he expected. He's young. He wasn't ready for it. And he took off. Mark, of course, is also Barnabas's cousin. So there's a personal connection there in how they relate. But Barnabas was a man who seems to quickly forgive. A man who looks to see the best in others very quickly. Someone who genuinely wanted to show love. So Barnabas was absolutely adamant to take John Mark with them. But just as strongly as John Mark wanted to take, or as Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, Paul was just as strongly opposed to that. Paul was a driven man, and, and I suspect that there were probably times when working with Paul would have been difficult. Godly, no doubt, but strong-headed. He saw Mark as a quitter, unpredictable. And he knew on their journeys, particularly from what they had experienced before, that they needed someone that was dependable on the journey, that was going to stick it out, that could endure. And he wasn't confident that Mark would do that. Perhaps in the back of his mind is the proverb, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. That's the last thing he wanted, is to have to have somebody who was just a constant irritation on the journey. So verse 39 tells us that there was a sharp contention between the two of them. The whole thing just seems out of character. Now we've seen strong disagreement in Acts before. Chapter 6, there's the issue with the, the, the widows there, which caused tension and, and trouble. And then we've just seen the arguments that took place at the beginning of chapter 15 between Jews and, and Paul and, and even Peter in dealing with what is the gospel. But we've seen these things resolved. So when it comes and it says that there is sharp uh, contention between the two of them, perhaps we read that with hope, that these two men, these two godly men can get it sorted out and, and go, but we quickly find out it doesn't turn out that way. We don't have the solution that we've seen before. They divide. The dream team is gone. Paul and Barnabas split. Sometimes godly people disagree. Sometimes godly people disagree. It doesn't appear through Acts or through any of the epistles of Paul that Paul and Barnabas ever work together again. This is the final split between these two great men of God. Barnabas, from this point on, is not mentioned in Acts again. The rest of the book of the Acts focuses on the journeys of Paul. The disagreement here wasn't over doctrine. This wasn't over something as serious as, as doctrine. The disagreement was about how to best serve God. How can we best serve God? And these two men disagreed on how to do that. Who was right? I have no idea. I have no idea who was right here. Paul went on to many profitable journeys. He was able to train up other godly young men to follow him, to do things. But then Mark, 
Mark becomes a mature Christian. He finds strength through Barnabas and even befriends and comes under the wing of the Apostle Peter. Some things in Scripture are very clear. Some things in Scripture we know and, and must happen because things alone and that we're to live the glory of God alone. So those things are very clear. And those things do divide sometimes and should divide, but sometimes there doesn't seem to be a clear path on issues. There doesn't seem to be an answer to a situation. It means sometimes we're not going to see eye to eye on the right way to proceed. Sometimes godly people are going to disagree on what is the right thing to do. We're seeing it across the world now in, in some ways where there are good godly leaders in churches all over the world who disagree on how we should handle government-mandated lockdowns of churches. We see differently on how to proceed. And this problem leads to pain. Even godly relationships can be painful. We spoke last week uh, about glorifying God in our relationships, and that's our desire. And I am absolutely sure that it was Paul and Barnabas' desire to bring glory to God in all of their relationships. But sometimes living that out is hard. Living our relationships can be difficult. It's difficult because it's deeply personal. That makes this so painful, so heated, so difficult. We bond in ministry. We invest our souls in people. We're family. Of course, Barnabas and Mark are related, and that has an influence here. But we've seen in the past the, the great influence that Barnabas had on Paul's life. Were it not for Barnabas, the story of Paul's life may have been vastly different. Barnabas was the first man in Jerusalem to take Paul in and say, no, he's one of us. He's our brother. To be the encourager, to be the, the supporter. Barnabas was the one who, when they needed Paul in Antioch, was the one who traveled all the way to Tarsus searching for him to bring him back and minister together in Antioch. They had just spent a year traveling together, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, enduring trials, enduring suffering, even coming very close to death. The, the two of them had shared a deep, deep bond in the years that had preceded this moment. They just finished fighting together over the Gentiles in salvation. See, ministry doesn't have colleagues. Ministry is brothers and sisters. When disagreements happen, it hurts deeply, both ways. But God's purpose can still progress. Verse 39 says, And the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. At first, this seems to be an absolute disaster. 
And we're left wondering, is this going to tarnish the work of Christ? Is it going to tarnish the testimony of Christ in the world, in the church at Antioch, in the churches where they, they go? When they reach somewhere, are they going to say, where's Barnabas or where's Paul? What happened? Has Satan successfully here derailed a powerful work of God? If that was what Satan had hoped for or even tried to manipulate, it seriously backfired. Because it didn't become the tragedy that it would seem to be. Because now there are two powerful missionary teams. Before there was one, now we have two. Barnabas continues to minister. Barnabas continues to be a missionary, as does Paul. Barnabas takes Mark and they head to Cyprus. Paul takes Silas and heads to Lystra and Derby. The original plan was still going to be accomplished. It just looks very different now. It takes a different shape. God has providentially moved to bring eternal good from temporal turmoil. Sometimes our plans may fail, even good plans. It may be our fault that they fall apart, but God does not intend to let that stop him and to stop the progress of his purpose. So don't hold on to the pain. As tragic as this event is, we need to look and see how it ends. They, Paul and Barnabas do not work together again, but that's not the end of the story. They may both even surely are hurting here, but it wasn't the end of their relationship. Paul later speaks of Barnabas and Barnabas's ministry with great respect and speaks of him of respect and care. Later, as Paul comes toward the end of his life, he would find great encouragement from Mark. He would call Mark a co-laborer, a helper. So at this moment, it looks like the relationship has been destroyed, but we find that as time went on, they were able to rebuild. Although it looked differently, the relationship did not end. They would still be able to see the work of God. Disagreements are going to happen between brothers and sisters, and sometimes they're going to hurt deeply. Don't let them destroy the relationship. Seek peace. Seek a way forward. Seek reconciliation. So while the first part of our thought this morning as we look at this bit is that good plans sometimes fail, the second thought and the final thought for me this morning is this. God's plans never fail. Good plans may fail. Our good plans may fail, but God's plans never fail. And in doing so, he provides strength. The first five verses of... But here we find God is providing encouragement. He's providing encouragement. God has providentially worked through this disagreement. So we see the work continue. The missions trip will still go on. So Paul's plan seems to be taking place, but in a very different way. His intent was to go and to encourage and to strengthen and to care for others. And in the process, God is going to Barnabas has taken Mark, they are companions, and they travel to Cyprus and will continue their ministry through that region and beyond. 
But God provides Saul or Paul with Silas. Silas, we've seen at the, the end of chapter 15, is a strong, godly man. He was a leader in the church at Jerusalem. He encouraged people. Like Paul, another advantage with Silas is that he is a Roman citizen, which is going to be an advantage as they travel further. At this point, right at the moment, that doesn't seem to be necessary, but it's going to be very necessary as God redirects where they go. But this time they also take a different route. This is also a providential guidance of God. The last time they went on this route, they went the way Barnabas did. They traveled to Cyprus and then went up uh, over to the, the mainland from there. But this time they don't travel west over to Cyprus. They travel north and they head up through the land, up through Tarsus and Cilicia and head over to where they had been before at Lystra and Derby. They take a different approach. Why does that matter this time? Why is this a providential redirection of God? Well, if they had gone the original way they went before and followed the path they had before, it would lead them to Lystra last. But this time, because Barnabas goes this way, Paul goes this way, which takes them to Lystra first, which is where they find Timothy. Is now with them for the entire journey. A journey which took an entirely different path than Paul had intended to go. Taking them to places where they hadn't intended to go. Now Paul has Silas and Timothy, who are both going to become close companions, sons in the faith. It's probable that Paul led Timothy. To Christ as a young man when he was on his first journey. Now they will travel and serve together. God provided. That's at the heart of that word providence. At the heart of the word providence is provide, that God provides. And that is exactly what he did. The confusion of this passage, though, for some, comes because Paul has Timothy circumcised. And we, again, we're brought to this question like we were in, at the end of chapter 15. Why do we keep going back to the law? If it was decided at the end of chapter 15 that only why this? We're given the, the reason here and, and why that takes place, and it's a, a cultural thing. You see, normally... In a mixed marriage, like where Timothy was from, where his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek, the tradition, the expected thing of the Jews was the mother would get her way and the child would be circumcised according to the law. And so that was the expectation of Jews. If you were from a Jewish family where it was mixed, father was, was Greek, you follow the Jewish customs. So what is Paul doing? Paul is taking his very own advice where he said, I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to cause issues. He knows that if he turns up in areas where there are Jews and they're trying to reach the Jews and they know that Timothy, because they know him, is from a mixed marriage but is not following the law, it's going to cause them issues. So he says, let's take that issue away. Let's just get rid of that stumbling block so we can minister for Christ the best way we can. That's what that is about with Timothy. It's wisdom. Wisdom in how to minister for God. Paul would write to these very people. So Galatians, the book of Galatians is to these people, Lystra, Derby, Iconium. 
He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. He says, uh, it doesn't matter to me whether you follow the law, whether you're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter. What matters is serve in love. And that's what Paul was doing. We want to do our best to lay this out. So he uses wisdom. So in this, God provides strength, but God also provides direction. Chapter, verse 6, we see the journey continue. Now, when they had gone through in the, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Often this passage is called the Macedonian call because of the vision he has of the man in Macedonia. But clearly, God has been at work in the world. While Paul has been traveling and what Paul has been doing and coming to, to his plan, God has been at work other places, purposefully acting, providentially moving ahead of them. While Paul and his company are ministering other places, the Spirit is at work in Europe. And in the West, he had a plan. Paul had a, had a plan for his journey. He had a desire to reach people with the gospel. Again, Paul's plan is a good and godly plan. We're going to come here and we're going to keep going north and take the gospel further north. Good plan. Not God's plan. So it was stopped. Just not what God wanted. So God overruled their plans to accomplish these things twice. They're stopped once. So Paul keeps moving. He keeps moving west. He finds another opportunity where he thinks, all right, we've come west. Let's go up into this other region, Bithynia. Keep heading north this way. Again, God says, good plan, not my plan. Keep going west. And so they go till they get to the coast at Troas. God is still at work in this world. God overruled their plans to accomplish his plan. God knew where this expedition was supposed to go. He knew where the end was. He knows where the gospel needs to be heard at any time. He is moving. He is working before us. God is not working in our moment, and that is the end. God is always at work ahead of us because he's already there god was working ahead of him and he leads us to his work we went this week on because of the holiday we went to caversham wildlife park and uh, some of you have seen my my expertise in cracking a whip as a result uh not expertise but while we were there we watched as many of you have seen a demonstration of sheep mustering the, uh, the the farmer the shepherd whatever you want to call them is out there on the horse knows where they want the sheep to go has the dog what does the dog do the dog under the instruction of the shepherd runs around the sheep go this way the farmer doesn't want them to go that way so what's the dog do the dog runs around barks gets the sheep to go this way not going that way we're going this way the sheep come around this way dog comes around barks them over this says don't go that way we want you over here and the dog moving, stopping, 
You're not going that way. You're going this way. You're not going there. You're going here. The dog leads them along. Similar way. It's a poor illustration, I understand, but it gives us a visual. The way that God works sometimes. We go the way we think, and sometimes it's a good way and a great way and a good thing for God to do, but God says, no, that's not, that's not my plan. So he providentially works, and usually we don't see how or why or what happens. It just doesn't go, and we're moved, and we're shifted into a different direction. The Bible doesn't tell us how the Spirit led them here or how it forbid them. Probably not a vision, because the third time when the Macedonian uh, calls, it says it's a vision, which distinguishes two. So we don't know how God, maybe it was through a prophecy, because Paul and Silas both said to be prophets, but we don't know how. We don't know how God led them this way. But God has his way of directing our lives, often imperceptibly. The Puritan pastor John Flavel is famous for this statement, providence, like Hebrew, is read backwards. That is, we're not meant to read circumstances and the things around us to determine God's will. But very often, when we look back, we will see his hand at work. We will see how he guided. At the time, completely imperceptible to us. We had no idea what was going on or why it happened. But when we look back, I can tell you a thousand times where I've seen that as I look back. It was providence that two weeks before my son died, I preached a sermon on where children go when they die. It was providence that when my father had, uh, had spinal cancer, we ended up where the greatest back surgeon in Australia was, or in the world was. We didn't know how these things happened. Looking back, you see the hand of God. Like sheep, our job isn't to determine God's end place for us. My job is not to find out and say, that's where God wants me to go. That's what God has for me. My job is just to follow. Paul didn't take the forbidding of the Spirit as a sign to decipher God's will. He simply recognized that this wasn't it. What Paul did is what we all must do. Keep moving. Keep moving. For Paul, it was, don't go north. Well, then that must mean I just keep going west. Don't go north, just keep going west. When God stops one place or shifts our thing, it doesn't mean stop. It doesn't mean that we, we need to decide, just keep moving, keep serving, keep going the direction you know you can go. Because God provides purpose. Sometimes our lives and our plans turn out entirely different than we thought. Proverbs says, a man plans the way of his life, but God directs his path. God provides purpose. Verse 10 says, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Preach the gospel. It is rare in Scripture to see God tell someone their specific purpose in life. Paul knew that his job was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. 
but he didn't know the details of that. Sometimes what we think is our purpose or our place in life turns out to be wrong. No matter what the details look like, we all have one great purpose. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel wherever God leads you. Obey his call. When it finally becomes clear to Paul through the vision of where he needs to go, it says immediately. Immediately. And it seems that it's at this point where Luke jumps on and becomes part of the band. But that's a side note. Paul kept moving. He kept preaching. He kept following the providential direction of God. And along the way, Paul didn't know what God was intending. He just followed as soon as that leading brought him to his goal, Paul immediately obeyed. Sometimes we're going to move through life following the lead of God, probably unknowingly. Then we'll look back and we'll see where we've been led to. And we'll see what's in front of us in purpose. In that moment, we need to obey to keep following. It's likely we'll have no idea what's on the other side of that call, but we must go. We expect it to. Life following God is no different. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. It's frightening. And it's satisfying. God is at work in this world to accomplish his purpose. He is purposefully acting in this world that's providence that god is purposefully acting in this world and you are part of that purpose so live for god look for ways to preach the gospel and to encourage believers and while you're moving god will be moving directing your steps and sometimes you'll end up where you expect and sometimes God will lead you to places that you didn't intend to go. But be assured that God knows what he's doing and he knows exactly where you need to be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are brutally truthful with us. Because for certain these are not flattering times for Paul and Barnabas. And yet, we see they are extremely flattering times for you. They show us your goodness. They show us your grace. They show us your providence. Encourage us, dear God, and strengthen us that no matter where you lead, we will follow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.